0: Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a congregation, a HaVas Torah initiative. Today, we continue with chapter 19, Perek Yud Tess of Sefer Malachim. Last Perek, as you will recall, Eliyahu Hanavi concluded the painful three years of drought with a public competition between him and the prophets of Baal. He demonstrated beyond all doubt that Hashem was the true king, the master of the universe, and he impressed that upon the nation that was gathered at Har HaKarmel, including King Ahav. And then, following all of that, the rain begins to fall. Our parak opens, with Ahav arriving home to tell Izebel the, the amazing things that he had just witnessed. But, unfortunately, Izebel is not impressed. In fact, Izebel is outraged because, as we know, the events at Har culminate with the killing of the prophets of Baal. She is incredibly devoted to Baal, and so she is outraged, she is extremely angry, and she vows that she is going to put Eliyahu Hanavi to death as well in one day's time. Eliyahu flees, he flees to the wilderness, and we learn that after a, a day's trip, he plants himself under a tree and he wishes to die. And we can well understand Eliyahu's sense of despair. Eliyahu has been planning his stunning confrontation with the nation and with Ahab for years. As we've, as we've seen, the human toll of, of, this, uh, of this strategy was enormous as the people suffered terribly from the drought. Eliyahu both experienced and witnessed this firsthand. But for the years leading up to this moment, he maintained his resolve because of his conviction that this could alter the trajectory of the nation that this could right the wrongs that had been done. He held on to the belief that this was going to be this watershed moment. Then, he executes his plan and it goes off perfectly. Parak Ches is a masterful display of uh, Hashem's true power over the world and over the universe. And it, and, it, and it even works in the moment to convince everyone who was there including the wicked King Achav himself. So everything went off without a hitch and now, despite all of this toil, despite all of his work towards this moment and the perfect execution of his plan, Izavel, with the flick of her wrist, has undermined everything. Eliyahu sees that his plan is now an utter failure and he has used every weapon in his arsenal. It has not worked and we can well understand why Eliyahu therefore despairs. He goes off into the wilderness, as I said, and he says, I, I want to die here. But an angel appears to him, he offers him nourishment, he encourages him to eat, and he then travels on to Har Chorev, Har Sinai, Mount Sinai. And there Hashem asks him, he goes into a cave, uh, and, and Hashem asks him, what are you doing here? Now, says, I was very jealous for, for you, God, uh, but the nation has sinned, and I'm essentially the last man fighting this fight, and I give up, I want to die. And then there is this kind of cryptic exchange Uh, between Hashem and Eliyahu. He tells Eliyahu to stand on the mountain before Hashem, and then there's this smashing wind, but Hashem is not in the wind, so Hashem brings an earthquake, but Hashem is not in the earthquake, and then a fire, but Hashem is not in the fire, and then finally a still, small voice. Once again, Hashem asks Eliyahu, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And he responds in the same exact way as before, I was very jealous for you, God, but the nation has sinned. I'm the last man fighting this fight, and I, I give up. I want to die. And the question is, how do we make sense of this whole little unit in the Midbar going to Harsinai? What, what is, what, what's what's behind this exchange? How do we make sense of it? There is, to be sure, a lot of room for interpretation here, but broadly speaking, it seems to me that Hashem is trying to teach Eliyahu that, that though Hashem can be a crushing force, God can appear in the world in a, in a harsh way, uh, Hashem can also and at times must appear in the world as a still, soft voice. And while Eliyahu would like to see God punish the nation and to be that crushing force, that earthquake, that wind, Hashem wants to manifest Himself in a still, small voice, trying to correct the nation in a gentler, more forgiving, more merciful way. So it seems to be, I think, broadly speaking, that that seems to be the clash here. And Hashem is rebuking Eliyahu uh, for His stern and punishing approach to the nation, and yet, Eliyahu doesn't really get the message, because even after this incredible display of the, the wind and the fire, right, Eliyahu still responds. When Hashem asks him, what are you doing here, uh, his response is the same. His response is unmoved. He nonetheless is, uh, is still in this kind of very jealous, zealous, uh, punishing mode, wanting Hashem to punish the northern kingdom, uh, and he's, he's not uh, kind of moved from that course. I think this interpretation is strengthened when we realize the location of this encounter. It happens at Chorev, where when else have we had a kind of uh, similar exchange? Uh, we, we, we had a similar exchange, similar and different, uh, in the context of Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, after uh, the giving of the Torah on Har Sinai at Chorev. Uh, the nation sins with the golden calf. And then Moshe once again ascends the mountain. He's in, just like Eliyahu, he's in a a crack uh, in the mountain. He's in a cave in the mountain. And Moshe begs Hashem for mercy. And that's where Hashem presents the Yod Gimel Midos HaRachamim. Hashem responds and uh, and gives in to Moshe's request for, for mercy in that moment. So we find that Uh, In this exchange, Moshe Rabbeinu is begging for mercy, whereas Hashem is, uh, let's say, in the default, was going to be more punishing and harsh, was going to destroy the nation. And here, the roles are reversed. Eliyahu is the one who's being strict. Eliyahu is the one demanding harsh justice from Hashem, and it is Hashem who is is insisting on, on mercy. And so Hashem brings him to this place to try and and remind him of the role that Moshe was playing in this moment. And by extension... the role that Hashem would like to see Eliyahu playing. We would like to see the the Navi as the the one who is speaking on behalf of the nation and not the one who is trying to prod Hashem to be more exacting. So the roles are completely reversed. And once we understand the significance of the location, we appreciate kind of the, the, the deeper meaning of the question that Hashem keeps prompting uh, Eliyahu with, he's saying, what are you doing here? Hashem is trying to impress this message on Eliyahu. He's trying to say, look, look, wh- wh- why did I bring you here? The mess- Recognize what took place here and recognize what I would really like uh, from you as a Navi. But as I said, and as we saw in the text, Eliyahu's response is unchanging. Eliyahu is unmoved. And as a result, Hashem concludes the parak with three instructions to Eliyahu. The first is, he tells Eliyahu to anoint Chazael as the king of Aram. And Chazael will ultimately serve up the justice by attacking the northern kingdom, the justice that Eliyahu seeks from the people of the north. Next, Hashem tells him to appoint Yehu as the king over the north. He's also going to serve up justice against the monarchy by by killing them off, by assassinating and ending the line uh, of... um, of King Achav, and then Hashem finally instructs Eliyahu to anoint Elisha as a prophet to replace him. So it's it's uh, I mean these three instructions are kind of contradictory. It's actually pretty complex. Why? Because on the one hand, he tells Eliyahu that he is going to be replaced by Elisha, and that's of course a, a striking a, a harsh reprimand. He's saying. Look, if you couldn't internalize this message regarding uh, justice versus mercy, so we need someone who's going to be able to serve in this role in the proper way, someone who's going to be more of an advocate for the nation, and that's why, Eliyahu, unfortunately, I need to replace you with Elisha. So that's reprimand. At the same time, Hashem also says, I want you to appoint Yehu and Chazael, who are going to exact the punishment on the northern Kingdom, which is precisely what you're asking for so it's it's a little bit hard to figure out well, if we read the you know the 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 exchange above as a pure reprimand, so then why is it that Hashem also acquiesces in this way so it's it's kind of a it leaves us with with more questions I would say, and I would just kind of leave that for you to consider uh, and how do we make sense of the exchange? Uh, and the and the still small voice versus these three major takeaways. Um, again, I, I leave that for you to consider. The parak then ends with Eliyahu going to find Elisha. He sees him, he meets him plowing the field. He formally appoints Elisha as the Navi to replace Eliyahu, and Elisha goes off following Eliyahu. But before he does that, he asks, can he go run home and say goodbye to his folks? And he ends up not only going by to give a hug and a kiss to his parents, but he makes a feast for his whole family and all of those who are working with them and for them and and the neighbors. And uh, and then he goes to serve Eliyahu and to learn from him and to serve as his uh, apprentice to become the Navi of Israel. But this little digression, this little trip, his request to go home, is also so instructive. It's such a great window into who Elisha is. It's a great way that the text very quickly introduces us to who Elisha is and how he is different than his predecessor, than Eliyahu. Eliyahu was this uh, a loner, right? He, he lived alone, he lived on the margins of society, and he wasn't what you would call a kind of a people person. He, he had little patience for people, he was very demanding, even the way that he treats the, the, the widow. You'll recall that when he first meets her, she's starving, she doesn't have any food for her, for herself and her children, and he says, "Make me something to eat, then you, then your child." It uh, and and of course, a miracle occurs, and and it, and it works out for everyone. But just that the notion that he would ask her to feed him first—it it, it's a very harsh, uh, and and it's a very demanding uh, type of uh, persona that Eliyahu has, and here we find Alicia who is uh, is told, you know, you have this opportunity of a lifetime to follow after Eliyahu, and he says, you know what, can you just give me a minute? And he runs home, and not only does he uh, go home to say goodbye to his folks, but he makes a feast for the whole nation. Even just the fact that he finds him plowing, it shows that Elisha is a man of the people. Elisha is someone who is, um, ha- has a, a very different type of personality, a very different relationship to his neighbors, to his fellow man, than Eliyahu. And in, in that way, we're made to understand that Elisha, uh, is, is suited to succeed in ways that Eliyahu was unable to succeed. And in the Prakim ahead, we will see uh, exactly how that plays out. That's it for today. Chazak ve'emat and happy learning.